0: The Under Center Podcast on the Dynamo Podcast Network.
1: Hello, welcome to the Under Center Podcast. I'm your host Darramar, and I'm joined by two of the latest undrafted free agent signings with the North Dublin Pirates, Fionn Malloy and Jake Woolhead. Lads, you didn't get drafted this past weekend, but you still found a team in the end.
2: Yeah, managed to go to the hometown team, the the North Dublin Pirates, you know, (laughs) starting running back, obviously immediately gone into that role. So we'll see if we can get the MVP this year.
0: Yeah, signed a great contract for a few marshmallows. So I'm delighted.
1: (laughs) Brilliant. So, uh, well, look, listen. We, they got three good signings because uh, I'm going to go back to be the star nose tackle now for next season too. I missed out on my sophomore year. I'm going to get it back now this year, hopefully. COVID or no COVID. But anyway, uh, it is the week after the draft. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about what happened last weekend, focusing mostly on the Washington football team and the NFC East uh, at large. And with us on the show today is Washington Football Insider and host of the After Practice podcast, Lake Little. Lewis Lake, how are you?
3: I well, appreciate you guys having me on. I'm, um, it's, it must be really late over there at this point. So uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate you having me on.
1: <laughs> sure, nine PM is a usual time for us to record. It's absolutely fine. We got to get used to the to the American market. Thank God you're on the East Coast rather than the West. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we
0: we did. We actually covered the first uh, the first round of the draft, and that was a late one. That was like. Half past five in the morning, it was finished. That for us, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're used to the longest.
3: Yeah, it was rough for me that night. i mean, we were on the <laughs> <East> Coast, <laughs> We didn't, we didn't talk to Ron Rivera until
1: almost one in the morning.
3: So I, oh know my goodness, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Well, to be fair, it was great being a Seahawks fan. They didn't have to talk to anyone. Of those beat reporters <laughs> on the first night, they just got to chill out, and not worry about anything. Maybe just the uh, the number three pick was the only thing they had to worry about that night.
2: I told you all it wasn't going to be Mac
1: Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) But, uh, listen, guys, we are on YouTube. And uh, if you are watching us on YouTube, can you please like this video and subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network? That is where you will find... Each and every show we upload, whenever we upload it, if you prefer the audio version, just do the exact same thing wherever you get your podcast. just search Dynamo Podcast Network. You'll find us there, so you can listen to us on the go wherever you are going off to. But let's get into this uh, past weekend's draft, and we'll start with the first round, Lake, and a lot of talk leading up to it was Wood Washington draft up to get a quarterback would one actually fall to them in uh, spot number 20 it didn't materialize in the end uh, what did you make of, of the uh, the first night in general
3: i thought it was a really good night for the team um you know they they took the guy that i you know was on a espn outlet last week um you know right before the draft and they do a mock every year and you know i was picking 19 for washington and um you know obviously you have to take what's available But it just so happened to be that I took Jamin Davis, and I thought that, you know, he would be there for them. I know that they really, really wanted a middle linebacker to shore up already really good defense, you know, just to get an athletic guy with speed in the middle because, let's face it, that was the most vulnerable part of that defense last year. So to be able to walk away, you know, with this guy after your first pick, um, you know, and hoping that he can be entrenched there for the next, you know, decade or so, I think it was a great move for Washington.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think what really we had been mock draft quite a lot of players or uh, across the board that I saw across all the different networks. So I think we went for uh, a value pick in a position where it was difficult to find really top end talent. Uh, From your experience on the ground, how seriously or how close did the Washington football team come to trading up to try and go after a quarterback? Or did they feel given when the first three guys were gone that maybe the talent level was a little bit too big of a drop-off and that they would be happy with the quarterback room that they had at the moment and maybe take a shot next year.
3: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, pretty much everything you said summed it up. I mean, they 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 discussed it. I mean, clearly you have to discuss it with you in the draft. Yeah. But, but realistically, they feel comfortable with what they have in the room. And with that being said, you know, I tell people this all the time. They were seven and nine last year. It was four different starting quarterbacks. <laughs> that just doesn't happen in the NFL. Um, you know, there were seven and nine on top of that. Uh, not just four different quarterbacks, but but quarterbacks that were getting injured, you know, and then a quarterback that just wasn't ready to hit the field at all. So if you if you think, listen, you know, Alex Smith was five and one as a starter, as a shell of himself, imagine. If Alex Smith were able to have started 16 games, there's no reason for me to believe that that team wouldn't have won 10 football games, bare minimum. Um, you know, they were in two games with what they had and they lost, you know, to Detroit, they lost a, a overtime game to the Giants. You know, that puts you at nine right there with four different quarterbacks. So again, I think they feel like that defense was so good last year and it could get even better. You get Matt Nice back, you, you have your draft pick. So now they're looking at it like, the defense should take another step from being really good to becoming, you know, borderline great. And then on top of that, you, you got a couple of weapons on offense. Now, you know, you bring in Curtis Samuel, naturally you have Ryan Fitzpatrick, you brought in. And then on top of that, um, you know, your draft, you know, you draft a couple of guys that you really believe can, can give this, this team uh, uh, on offense, a boost, especially Dayami Brown from, from North Carolina. So I don't think they were really looking to trade out. That's by any by any means. I mean, they got the number one defensive <laughs> player that was on their board, so they won out in this in the long run.
0: Yeah, and moving on, maybe out of the first round, looking at looking at the draft class that that Washington got in total. How well do you feel like they addressed the needs? Obviously, we already talked about quarterback, but I think Ron Rivera is definitely going to be happy with with ryan fitzpatrick certainly for a year and maybe if he can convince them for a couple of years if he doesn't like the quarterbacks in next season's draft but how well in general do you think outside of that did they address the needs that they had it's just funny for me to see jake's
1: facial expressions up there. <laughs> yeah he's, he's really hoping see jake jake was a ryan
0: fitzpatrick fan before before washington signed him so now he's not allowed to be a, no. a fitzpatrick fan no, So have said it before
2: I've said it before. Like, he's a guy that will lead you for, for three wins and then you will lose four in a row. So, you might have to move on to your second tier quarterback after Ryan Fitz tragic shows his face.
3: Well, I was expecting to come on your show, Irish guys, you know, Fitzpatrick, and I, I don't see any of the love. So, no, no, but,
1: uh,
2: <laughs> there was a lot of love before he joined the football team. I have to say. <laughs> but,
1: but, but There's but, a lot of love you know, for that beard as well.
2: Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: But, But, you know, truthfully, he's – I think you have to go back to what I would consider to be his best year, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that was ironically when he was with the Jets. Uh, They went 10-6, and and they had a top-five defense that year. So they didn't need him to throw the ball 400 times, you know. So, you know, you go back a couple years ago when he was in Tampa, I mean, he was throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game. That's not going to happen here this year. They're going to – you know, the way they've orchestrated and and, and build up this offensive line – brought back eric flowers they drafted cosme from texas as a start he's going to be their starting left tackle from day one so you know now you have not just your starting unit but you have quality depth to go a across this line which tells me that they're going to try to smash them up people they're going to try to run the football what is ryan fitzpatrick great at throwing the ball deep so now you
0: have three receivers that are sub four four guys and kind of, if we're going to put a bit of pressure on you now, obviously, uh, you told us that you picked Jamin Davis in your mock draft. Outside of that, looking at maybe some of the lower round guys that the Washington uh, the Washington drafted, who do you think is going to be the diamond in the rough? Who's the guy that in two, three years time, we're going to be looking at, wow, that was amazing value to get him where they did in that draft?
3: I know it's second round and you say your second round, you know, you're supposed to do well. But the tackle, Cosme, was a first-round grade to a lot of us. And when he kept falling and falling, I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Something, you know, did they all of a sudden find out some kind of medical report or something like that. It wasn't anything to do with that. It was just there was so many quarterbacks in this, in this draft and, you know, so many receivers in this draft. It just naturally pushed down the, what we call over here the big uglies. It pushed them down a little bit, you know. But for them to walk away in the second round with their starting left tackle – that's a, that's a steal too. So I think they've had a really good draft and they're going to have a couple of guys, two, three years. From now we're going to look back and say, man, how'd they pull this off?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think one guy that stood out for me that I thought was quite interesting was uh Cameron Cheeseman, given that our long slapper has, has left. And we do have one of the best punters in the game, arguably one of the best players on our, on our team for the last few seasons. So I think getting a replacement in there and keeping that special teams going as hot as it has been, is going to be very good for, for Washington in the future. Oh, you know, that's an excellent point because one of the mainstays, obviously,
3: I've been saying for the last couple of years, up until last year, of course, because it was Chase Young and some other defensive players, but I can't say Washington's best player is uh, Tress Way, their punter. Absolutely. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, nat-
3: so naturally, uh, Nick Sunberg was instrumental in that as the long snapper. Um, well, he's no longer here, so for him to go the Cheeseman, I think was a, a great move on top of that too because you, whoever that long snapper is that's going to be their only job they're not backing up mm-hmm. anyone on the offensive line they're not expected to go down on special teams and tackle. they're not expected to do anything but but long snap the ball so to get a specialist at that in Cheeseman I think is a good move and now he's a guy that perhaps can be on the roster for a decade or so
2: and certainly a contender for best name in the NFL draft of 2021 that's for sure <laughs>
3: It's up there, that's for sure. <laughs> if he
0: was in Green, if he was in Green Bay, it would be perfect. <laughs> I, I'm glad Jake spoke up there a little bit because I'd like to move on to the Giants now briefly. And like, if you could please actually explain if on, before
1: you, before you do. Sorry, I just want to ask one question about one more question about Washington. And just in the later rounds, um, mm-hmm. especially around seven, they actually uh, drafted uh, two uh, defensive ends. Uh, so sort of making the rich richer, you could say, on that defensive line for sure. But was it maybe, like, I know they're getting more on, on the end, but m- maybe they needed a few more bodies probably on the interior.
3: No, 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 no. They, they remember they're bringing back Matt Ioannidis. And for my money, Matt Ioannidis has been their best interior lineman defensively for the last four four years. Problem, you know, with Matt is he's got such a high motor and plays so hard he gets hurt and hasn't been able to have a complete season yet. So, you know, if they can get a full season from Matt Ioannidis to pair up with Tim Settle, who's also in the middle, Deron Payne, who's in the middle, and then you can move Jonathan Allen in there. So there, those guys are interchangeable. So I think that getting him back, now you just don't have three, you have four, and you only need two out on the field at one time. So. I think that they're going to be okay at that position. As far as the two, uh, you know, rookie ends that they drafted, you know, one of them's from my school, Ben State, you know, Shaka and, uh, Shaka got, Shaka's got a lot of uh, potential. You know, he's athletic. He can come around with some speed. And I thought that that was a good draft for them, uh, you know, a good move for Washington because naturally people, you know, some people fans are like, why would they take another, you know, pass rusher when you have Montez Sweat on one side and Chase Young on the other? Well, The question is, what's behind them? Because Ryan Kerrigan's not here. So, you know, you still need some depth because, let's face it, Chase Young missed a game or two last year. Um, You know, so if one of those guys were to go out, it, it would change the total dynamic of this defense, you know. So if you can develop another person to go along with them because that's a rotational position, I think it just makes the defense more formidable.
0: So maybe going back to my my original question after before Dara's excellent question, Uh, I wanted to do a a bit of bashing of the New York Giants and and Jake here. And I wanted you to please explain to them how uh, they completely messed up this draft. They didn't address any of their needs except for outside linebacker. They signed a running back behind Barkley, which they definitely needed. They signed a wide receiver that they definitely needed after signing Galladay. And they signed multiple cornerbacks which I suppose you could argue is a need for them, but signing them in the late rounds is probably not ideal. So, like, if you could confirm that I am, in fact, correct and that Jake Wait, needs to be extremely before worried. Before you go on,
2: Lake, I just want to get a gum shield because I feel like I'm going to get a bash in here, so I need to protect no, actually, myself.
0: I, actually, you
3: might you might be surprised because I, I've been telling people that and, um, I truly, truly believe this, that Washington and the Giants are the two best teams in the NFC East. That, oh, that's brilliant really- Yeah. That, that's that's my honest assessment and, and, and as of today, right now as we speak, you know, you maybe you give the edge to the, the reigning NFC East champion just by a little bit, but the Giants are right there. And it would not surprise me if the Giants win that division because they did help themselves. And I actually thought they had a decent draft. I really did. I thought I thought Gettleman, I thought Gettleman drafted for his life this year. Yeah. <laughs> and he sure you did know, I mean, I, did they did they go a little higher for Kadarius Tony than I thought a team would? Well, just a tad, but I thought he was a first round talent, and and I mean he's a guy that I love, by the way. I mean, they were my two favorite players in this draft by far were Michael Parsons and Kadarius Tony. So when the Giants, you know, got uh, Kadarius, and then of course the Cowboys got Michael Parsons, I didn't know which side I wanted to throw up on. So, um, you know, also with the Giants, you know, they, they get help from the defensive player from um from Georgia. You know, that's a good look for them. Maybe some of these names aren't household names outside of Tony, but you go back to their to their free agency, you know you know, for them to pick up a nice receiver, you know, uh, you know, from Detroit, um, you know, you think about all the moves that they've made. So now when you look at this offense, everyone knows what it's gonna come down to. It's gonna come down to Daniel Jones. He's got the weapons now, so there's no more excuses. You know, you look at your wide receivers, and you have Kadarius Tony, you have Shepard. Um, um, I'm missing someone on, on, on the outside. Uh, oh, Gallaudet and, and Slayton. So you have four really good receivers, and then you bring back your best offensive player, Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, and, and you know, I know they brought in a running back, but I also liked Wayne Gallman. I did. I, I think that Joe Judge is actually – He's developing a, a nice culture up there in New York as well, and I think that the Giants and Washington are the teams that are set up for long-term success. The Cowboys, yeah, they have a lot of offense. They bring back that they couldn't stop anybody. And Michael Parsons alone isn't going to be able to, you know, make. it's going to make a difference. Don't get me wrong, but he's not going to catapult them from the worst rushing defense to number one. It's not going to happen. So, um, I, I like the Giants move. To be honest
2: with you, <laughs> Dion, you you best know I'm gonna I'm cutting that into a little video and I'm gonna keep sending <laughs> that to you every week. But a fellow a, a fellow football team fan has said that the Giants did well. That is that is just music to my ears. Yeah, um, yeah I, mean, I have when, to do I have, I
3: have to do my job.
2: You know? Yeah, Lake's, to, Lake's too
0: professional. That. He's too professional. He did an analysis, and he like you survived that one, Jake. But I'll get you again. <laughs> well, well when obviously,
2: I'm, when the Eagles trade up and they pick uh, Devontae Smith. Just one pick ahead of us. That kind of put like, I, I was like, oh no, Who, who's Gettleman going to draft now? Eight seasons, he's never traded back once. He trades back, what, 10 places, gets himself a first round next year, a third round next year, fourth this year. I was like, that's beautiful. No, I don't care who he drafts at 20 anymore because like, it's yeah. not as important. No. But it is planning for the future for the Giants now, which is good. They have guys yeah. on, on three-year contracts. N- not so many of these one-year contracts that happened so much this year because of the, the lower cap. So if Daniel Jones isn't the guy, we can trade up. We can get a, a new quarterback, and we still have good offensive weapons. So I'm, I'm really happy yeah, with that.
3: Or you could, you know, bring in a free agent quarterback. I mean, you know, there, there's options there. I mean, you know, and I didn't even mention Evan Ingram had a Pro Bowl year, you know, tight in. So there's weapons all over the Giants' offense. They still need to get a little better on the offensive line, I think. Um, you know, that's naturally a, another possession, you know, a next step for them. But, yeah, I mean, when the Eagles traded up, the, the thing that I was surprised about, Washington traded with uh with, with, with Philadelphia later in the draft. The Eagles and Cowboys traded up with the other the Giants traded you know with Philly I mean I'm like what is this this is the NFC East mm-hmm. normally yeah. I don't care under any circumstance if it's going to make me better but if it's going to make you better as well I'm not doing it <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think it was purely a like the Eagles and the Cowboys just like conspired to hate on the Giants and said listen we're moving up we're taking a guy ahead of them that they we know they want yeah,
3: I think it was obvious that uh, the Giants were probably going to take Devonta Smith if he was there. Um, but, but in my opinion, and this is no, no, no knock on Smith at all. He obviously, he's a great player, won the Heisman. Um, but, but I like Kadarius Tony even more. <laughs> so, and if you, you if you can get Kadarius Tony
2: on a first round pick the following year, you absolutely got to do that.
3: You have to, you have to do that. You have to do it, and 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 literally hope they don't change their mind at the last second. You have to get it done. Yeah.
1: I look, if it breaks Urban Myers' heart as well, you know,
0: yeah,
2: and, and he was picking at
1: 25, he said he wanted to get areas telling
2: so I'm happy with that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. the other team that, that I think at least me and Jay can agree on that we least like to talk about is, of course, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you touched on Micah Parsons, they obviously traded up to get him. They also had a ton of picks in this year's draft, and they didn't, they kind of picked with all of them, they didn't like trade them away in bulk to move up in any one particular round. Uh, do you feel like they did enough to claw back to to kind of more in contention with with Washington and with the Giants? Oh, I mean, clearly,
3: I mean, Cowboys offense alone is good enough for for eight wins. I mean they have one of the best offenses in the league and there's no reason to think that it's going to slow down. It's only going to get better. You know, you have another year with CD lamb. Um, you know, you also have Dak Prescott back. So, you know, the offense should gel a lot more this year and do better. Um, you know, get some offensive linemen back. Byron Smith comes back Like Martin comes back on the line. Um, so that should help Zeke Elliott, you know, kind of look like the Zeke Elliott of, you know, past several years He just didn't look good last year. So with all that said, we know it's about the defensive side of the ball. And they did try to address the defensive side of the ball. They, got, they drafted a corner as well. They drafted uh, um, Jabril Cox, you know, another linebacker from LSU, who's really good, by the way. Um, but, but I think people have to keep in mind that, you know, Dan Quinn now is the defensive coordinator in Dallas. And Dan Quinn, forget about the coaching stint at, at uh, Atlanta. Think about him as a defensive coordinator with the Seahawks and how great those defenses were. So he's, you know, looking to try to put his stamp on there, but they're going to a 3-4. So it's going to be, you know, guys having to get used to that. Demarcus Lawrence, his game will change a little bit. So it's going to be interesting with the Cowboys. But I I truly feel like the NFC East across the board, every team helped their cause. Every team had strong drafts. Uh, I think Washington and the Giants, in my opinion, had the two best drafts. Um, I think Washington was the best in the division. I think the the Giants were second. Um, I think the Cowboys were third, and I think the Eagles the Eagles were fourth. I mean, and that's not a bad thing because they, both of them had good drafts, but if you had to rank them, that's the order I would give it to.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned about Dan Quinn, and I think that the Micah Parsons pick was definitely a Dan Quinn-style pick because like, that can be – if he wants to sort of recreate a sort of legion of boom in – dallas like micah parsons is going to be his bobby wagner for sure he's going to be that sort of guy for him um but i I want to ask a question because would you think because they did get micah parsons in the end but all the talk was they wanted a cornerback in the first round and do you think that if certain or jc horn were available still at uh 10 they would have selected them meaning that Philadelphia wouldn't have traded and then maybe the Giants might have gotten Devonta Smith
3: yeah I do I think I think all of the above I think that Dallas was definitely going corner first I think Sertain was their guy all along you know that's who they targeted um and you know but but it's not like they have a constellation prize you know they got the best linebacker in the draft um you know with a tremendous upside uh you know the, the only thing that concerns me frankly you know I I know there was talk about character issues with Micah. Um, you know, me being a Penn State guy, and I know people up there. You know, football-wise, that's the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, he had a, a you know, he did a he did a dumb thing. You know, that that young people do in a locker room, as far as horsing around, hazing. You know, that's I, I'm not condoning it at all. I'm not. But with that being said, character issues are when a person's in in trouble with the law all the time, a person's, you know, constantly getting kicked out of practice, you know, late for things. I mean, that's never been the case. This guy was an academic American too. So, I mean, let's, let's give him some praise along before you give him all the scrutiny. But with all that said, Dallas isn't necessarily the the atmosphere that you want to have a player in. If you do have any kind of a red flag and that's not to throw dirt on Dallas, but it, you know, come on, it is what it is. I mean, Dallas has had some some things happen, and they brought in some players that things didn't work out. So you just hope that this situation is, gonna, is not going to, you know, repeat itself and be one of them.
1: Yeah, and, and and with Dallas as well, they they had the most picks in the division. I think actually they had the most picks in the entire league over the weekend for such a weird draft. You could say that we came into with. It's such a a, a disjointed college year last year with all of these opt-outs as well. No full medicals, no combine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a lot of kind of, you know, shots in the dark taken here because they can't fully, I guess, fully scout the players as much as they would like.
3: Yeah, I mean, this has changed everything. I mean, the last two years for me alone, you know, just from a coverage standpoint, Draft night, I'm normally at the facility, you know, we're we're there, but the last two years I've been home, you know, Um, um, you know, you haven't been able to, to, to really get the interaction that you normally would have. So I can only imagine and what it's like for the guys, you know, for the players. I mean, I've talked to several players that have told me, you know, it's different. Some of them like it. Some of them don't. You know, some of it look at it like because they don't technically have to be in the facility all the time, you know, in the offseason. That's a good thing for them. You know, you know, veterans don't want to be there. They, they want to be home resting up, getting themselves prepared, because after three, four years, you know what your body needs to do to be ready for a coming season. So, yeah, I, I think it definitely changed the way people could judge the talent. There was no combine this year, you know, which which changes things, because let's face it, if, if everyone had a pro day like a lot of these guys, we're going to have records broken every year <laughs> because those pro days, the, four, the 40 times and things of that nature. No, th- those aren't mm-hmm. those are unofficial. Times, let's face it. I mean, you can't have 300 pounds, you know, six <laughs> non-offensive tackles running four threes. That's not happening. So, um, yeah, it, it, but, but, but this is what I think is happening. Guys. It's allowed for people to see who's really doing their homework. You know, there's no reaching it now. I mean, and I truly believe that you can look at it the way you just explained it. You can reach on someone says COVID I couldn't see him up close. No, 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 no. It's the, it's the polar opposite. What it is is now because you can't see the guy, you have to do your homework on who it is You're getting ready to draft. I mean, I mean, down to um, the color socks their mom wears. (laughs) I mean, you need to know everything possible about these players. And I think that that's what's separating drafts from last year, drafts from this year we're about to see who really hit, you know, the nail on the head.
2: Yeah, and sticking on on the draft there, uh, like, you know, I was surprised, like what I really liked was when Dave got on the draft back, he got that first round for the following year. I was surprised at how many players were drafted. I, w- I was expecting more opt-ins Players that had played last year to be drafted higher. Were you surprised, or was any thought about how many players that went high that opted out last season? Because you know it's obviously going to be a lot harder. You don't know how these guys have been taking care of their body. It's a lot harder to get that kind of handle on them. Or, or what? What was it? The idea on your side?
3: Well, see, I actually think the players that opted out are probably going to be. You, you know, the, I I don't want to say ahead because clearly, if you haven't played for a year, football is no lies. You know, that's a little bit of a setback, but it's a a minor setback because most of the high-end guys that opted out knew they were going to be first-round draft picks and high ones on top of that. So what those guys did was they got with trainers. They got with guys who worked with other, you know, great players and, you know, put them through workout regimens to actually get their body ready for what's getting ready to come up for them. And let's face it, a year out of anything um, that's, that's physical, if you don't have to be physical for a full year, You've saved your body for one extra year for your career. So now, an 18, 19-year-old, you know that, that you know you look at 10 years, or maybe not. They're gonna give you 11, 12 years just because they didn't go through the wear and tear, and that's a good thing for me. If mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I was a GM, I'd like to actually.
0: Mm-hmm. i think the, the Bosa's has kind of set that precedent didn't they when they took their their year out and and led up to the draft and and showed that that year out doesn't take as much off the football side as maybe the coaches might have expected and definitely let them progress their their body uh like we're coming up to the end of our show i want one last question we're going to test you again one last time of the five quarterbacks taken in the first round who's going to have the best rookie season please cuz Jake would like to put some money on it for me it's easy for me and it's not Trevor Lawrence um i think
3: he's going to have a good one but but i really like Zach Wilson i really 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 like Zach Wilson and what he brings to the table And I think he's going to be finally in a stable setting in New York, you know, with with Robert Solomon being the the coach now. I think that there's a plan. You can see the way they drafted that they had a plan in place. And when they went out and got uh, uh, um, Eli uh, um, going brain dead here, receiver from um, Ole Miss, uh, you know, that was a huge, huge pickup for them. You know, um, you, you want to have a young guy that you can grow with if you're a young quarterback. And I think that that was a good move for them. They also, you know, picked up running back from North Carolina so I, he's not just coming to New York with really nothing around him they're going to be a much improved football team I truly believe that so yeah I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do
2: I think my most successful quarterback I think is, is Trey Lance just uh, at the situation he's walking into is a lot better than any of the other quarterbacks walking into
1: yeah I, I don't, don't think, think, think he'll start right start. away though yeah
3: exactly he's, yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's gonna hit the field for a while actually and that's not because he's not good but Garoppolo. Unless they do trade Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, the un- only reason I would think they would trade him is that somehow they maneuvered guy Aaron Rodgers. But, but this is the problem with that. If you bring Aaron Rodgers in, Aaron Rodgers already showed you he doesn't want anyone sniffing around him. <laughs> so that wouldn't be necessarily a good. For Trey Lance, so I don't see them going after Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers ends up as a Denver Bronco. He's going to be it's a Peyton Manning 2.0 all over again. So um, yeah, that's what what's going to happen there. But, but but look, I know before I get off, I, I did I've been waiting to ask you guys this because um, you know over here football reigns supreme, and over where you guys are, football reigns supreme, the different person. <laughs> I need to get your I need to get your takes on what in the heck is this super super
1: league thing? I mean, ah.
3: you, I mean, is that is that dead in the water now because you know people really shot it down?
1: It is oh. dead, but like a good zombie film they can come back to life. (laughs) As Game of Thrones said, what
2: is dead may never die. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
1: like the owners of these teams, ironically enough, a lot of them own a lot of American franchises as well, whether it be baseball or football. They want to sort yeah, they want to incorporate a like a NFL MLB style in football in terms of no because fo- obviously of football over here there's relegation um, and sort of you know the money differs as well so they just want to sort of manoeuvre it in the way that all the big teams would play each other all the time you know they wanted a, pretty much an NFL where the 32 biggest sides play each other all the time there's no relegation there's no promotion and they just get all the money um, and then all the other all the best players from other teams get brought to these oh, big no. sides, but a, it's nasty. a lot diff. It's a lot more difficult, obviously, because you know you got colleges and drafting, that we, and you know it, it, there's a lot of money involved and with players as well over here too. So it, it it was never really going to work. Um It was just a money grab by sort of owners to sort of maximize how much they could get out of their clubs. But it's well, not dead. Well, that was, it's definitely not dead. They'll definitely well, try was- and do it again.
3: I was super impressed though with it, with the outcry of, um, you know, just, just fans and even players saying this isn't good for the sport over here. And, you know, I mean, over here, you know, obviously, you know, it's maybe number five sport wise over here. Um, no offense. It just is. And, um, you know, you got to win before people before they want to look and see what's going on. Um, I know that, was an american kid that scored like i think in the first english league you know playoff game recently or whatever and the iron is no one's ever heard of him over <laughs> so anyway <laughs> uh but, but but with that said um you know it it, it, it wasn't enough teams right it, you didn't have enough teams in order to have a super league you can't have 10 best teams playing each other every game that's you need more teams right so-
0: it was it was a little complicated. They originally we have a, a a knockout tournament that runs alongside of the domestic leagues in each of the countries, uh, the Champions League. So it was originally set up as the the winners of each league play each other. Essentially, this was going to start out as a tournament that played midweek during, like, so all teams would still play in their domestic leagues, and they would use this as a kind of a super a Super Bowl version. Of the of the Champions League where none of the smaller teams could get in, only these big teams and then once they recruited enough enough teams, they would then move it on to a, a full-time league, so uh, yeah, like Dara said, it's not dead yet because these massive clubs also owe a lot of money and the standard revenue for them at the moment is just not good enough uh, the biggest guy is the guy uh, who owns Real Madrid uh, obviously a global brand but they are like billions of dollars in debt at the moment so they're trying to find a way of of getting out of that as quickly as they can so as long as he still has debt i think there's always a chance that this thing comes back
3: yeah that's just not good because it kills the small the small market teams and you know communities that have probably rooted for their teams over 100 years you know um, yeah it, it would be a death blow for some of those and that's not cool that's not cool and, at all
0: and <laughs> soccer as well particularly in the english league but also in the in the other domestic leagues uh, it's built on this fact that an underdog can make a run at any time right it's the same it's mm-hmm. this. it's got mm-hmm. the same nostalgia as the The NCAA tournament in basketball where, okay, the big teams win it in the end or every so often a tiny team gets really, really far and everyone loves to see that. And it really adds as much as everyone wants to see those massive world class players play each other every week. They also want to see those small teams, those minnows that have no chance keep winning and winning and winning until someone finally, finally gets
3: over on them. So. Well, the government here stops monopolies. I mean, when someone yeah. gets over, they you know they try to put other other places out of business. The government steps in. So I, hopefully, that happens over there. I mean, I'm not the big soccer guy like you guys are, but at the end of the day, over here, people were like, "Man, we've seen this story so many times mm-hmm. over here, and it just never never got off the ground. So maybe that stays on the ground over there." <laughs>
1: sure. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But on this podcast, anyway, uh, American football reigns supreme is number one. It's not number five or anything <laughs> like that. So that's the main awesome. thing. Awesome. But listen, before we wrap it up, uh, Lake, where can uh, people find uh, your podcast or any of your work? Uh,
3: sure. You can uh, You can go to sportsjourney.com. Um, you know, we've got some great folks covering all of DC sports here working for me, doing a really good job. Uh, you can check out my podcast podcast at uh the after practice podcast with lake lewis and then uh, on twitter at lake lewis on instagram facebook lake lewis jr so i definitely appreciate you guys having me on today i really do
1: no problem lake and we look forward to speaking to you again in the near future if not at some point during the 2021 season but let's move off the nfc east and let's have a look at the afc west and how their draft panned out and to help us look at the teams is long-suffering raiders fan steve o'rourke steve how are you
4: That is about the most accurate description of being a Raiders fan that there is. I think it goes with everyone who's described as a Raiders fan, like the so-called weaker counties.
1: (laughs) That's it. Well, unfortunately, uh, like the weaker counties, they can't just get up and move to uh, another state and uh, build a fantastic stadium in in the middle of the desert.
4: That is true. That is true. And this is the third different city that the Raiders have been in since I started supporting them. So, I mean, yeah. They were like very close to being this time.
2: <laughs> yeah, like you don't live over there. You'd have to go travel for the games. Though. Oh, stop. What, yeah.
4: what's,
0: what's the Irish equivalent of moving to Las Vegas? Moving down to, like, Waterford or something? Down the sunny, the sunny
1: southeast? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was
4: going to say, Carrick, like, say, you take on, like, the the stags and the hens, but then, like, grey for the slot machines or something. So... <laughs>
1: That's actually when when we were in Vegas a couple of years ago. Myself and my uh, girlfriend had that talk. So if Ireland was to have a Vegas, where would we put it? And what we actually came up with is Limerick would be the perfect spot for it, mostly because it's kind of rough already and it's kind mm-hmm. of seedy. So you put a few hotels and casinos, and you'd be alright. Be robbed yeah. every two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Not successfully. <laughs> <laughs> the it ocean's it. <laughs> Uh, we're only messing with limerick limerick is great crack uh, as long as you're not in it uh before we get into the draft guys uh we are on youtube and uh on audio form uh, on the podcast if you are watching us on youtube if you can like this video and subscribe to the dynamo podcast network that would be swell because that is where you will find our podcast each and every time we upload a new show same on the audio side just search dynamo podcast network that's where we'll be. Every time we upload a new show, you'll find us there as well. While they are at it, go to our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash UndercenterPod. The same for Twitter and Instagram, at UndercenterPod. That's where you find us. Give us a follow or a like, and uh, be kept up to date whenever the latest shows are getting uh, released too. So let's talk about the draft, and we are going to start uh, with the Raiders, uh, Steve. So. And uh, he started out by doing, you could say, a Raiders thing by drafting uh, tackle Alex Leatherwood in the first round as sort of a, a reach. They redeemed themselves in the second round by getting the uh, highly rated safety at uh, Trayvon Mawring, uh, uh, but then also getting another two safeties um, in the first five rounds, making it three in total, which is a bit strange when you already have Jonathan Abram and Carl Joseph on the team.
4: It's strange until you see John Abram and Carl Joseph play football and then you realise you need as much safety help as possible. So um, I would have been perfectly happy as a Raiders fan to see not a single offensive player come off the board. Um, line was a need, but I don't think it was a first-round need. I think there was enough cover there that I would have been happy enough with the line to take a free agent and under after free agent and, and try and train him up or whatever. Um, but this is typical of Mayock and Gruden. I mean, every year they've drafted together, they've reached, uh, they've gone for guys that nobody's been expecting to go at that position. Um, I wouldn't say any of it has worked out so far. <laughs> it's very difficult to kind of give them any praise for that. It's really difficult. Like, cause I think what's happening is that teams know now that the Raiders are, have, Someone maybe not on anyone else's draft board in mind, so nobody's really willing to trade down with them because they know that. Why would you give the Raiders f- extra picks? They're going to pick the guy anyway at that position, so they're not going to they're not going to interrupt my draft board, and it puts them at a huge disadvantage then for trading, especially on day one and two. Um, but I do think they saved the draft with the the morig move. I think um, there was a lot of teams waiting for him. Uh, and it is definitely a, a position of need, and he does seem to be the type of player who's going to sort sort of fit right in with the new defense. You know, a lot of the safeties are going to expect it to be run blockers, uh, much more so than in, in previous versions of this Raiders defense. So I think overall, like it's probably still only a C C plus draft but in the Mayock Gruden era, I mean, that's, that's a win. So I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, uh, I'm going to take it, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just so utterly predictable. What's going to happen when the Raiders draft that it's I uh, so, actually, I say that, but it's the first time they've never drafted a skill position on offense. Um, and that is unusual because normally you're guaranteed they'll take the fastest guy in the draft. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a change, but it, the offence isn't the problem. The offence hasn't been the problem for three years. Everybody who has even watched a single Raiders game knows that the problem is on the other side of the football.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and another issue that really afflict, 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 a bit afflicted, sorry, I got it there third time, lucky, was uh, definitely in the corner position and waited until the fifth round, late in the fifth round to get Nate Hobbs as well. Um I know that there has been some moves made in free agency, especially to uh, sort of shore up that. But do you think there's been enough done in the combination of free agency and draft to give you even a little bit of confidence in, on the defense?
4: Um, no, that's probably the short answer. Uh, <laughs> there, there was obviously Sherman was linked there for quite a while, and there's still some conversations around that. Um, I just. I don't understand why a team who are willing to spend as much money as they are in free agency are reluctant to spend it on corners and safeties and on positions that they actually need players. Um, Like if you're willing to give $10 million a year to a backup quarterback, surely you're willing to give a decent wedge of money to a starting corner. So, Maybe they just think
2: there's no point being in the Kansas City Chiefs division, thinking there's just no point getting any cornerbacks in because because Patrick Mahomes going to win anyway. Well, huh?
4: the issue isn't the Chiefs because I actually think the Raiders have the Chiefs number. That's not that's the one game. We, there are two games a year I'm confident going into that actually the Raiders have a really good chance. It's everyone else. It's absolutely everyone else that I worry about with the Raiders. You know how a team last year like can dominate the the Chiefs for two games. They were very unlucky not to win both of them. Absolutely dominate them. And really did set the, they kind of put the framework in place that the Buccaneers then enhanced for the Super Bowl. Like they played them in very similar ways. And then they go out and they need the, the Jets to basically throw a game to, to beat the Jets, you know, at the end of the season. And you go, how are these, how is this the same team? And that's like, at least if they were consistently bad, you get a high <laughs> draft pick, and you're happy with that. But it's when you can turn in like those kind of games where you 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 make Patrick Mahomes look normal, and you and yet that defense is a dumpster fire for the rest of the <laughs> season, except for those two games. It's just it's incredibly frustrating, I think, as a, as a Raiders fan. But I think they they are another team that will chug along to a close to 500 record again this year because the offense, I think on its day, if the offence is ticking, can legitimately be a top six, top five offence. I think Derek Carr is an incredibly underrated quarterback. I think the line, even with the losses this off-season, is still one of the best in the league. I think the Henry Ruggs is going to come on this year in a way that I think a lot of people maybe hoped he would have done in his first season. Darren Waller is an argument to be one of the top two tight ends in the league at the moment. Like offense wise I think they're fine, and that's enough to get you seven, eight wins. But just, there's so many teams out there that can count on their defense to give them four or five wins. And the Raiders are not that team. The Raiders might get one win out of their defense this season. And they've done nothing in this offseason to kind of to make me think that they would do, do any more than that this year again.
2: And where do you think the blame kind of lies? Is it the, the coaching? Is it the players, the talent, drafting?
4: It's everything. It's I think it's when you give a head coach $100 ten-year a hundred million dollar, ten year contract. contract. Yeah, like he's not going to feel like his his arse is on you know on the line at any stage. Like, so I think he was right to to bring in Bradley. I think that's a, a move that's been needed for a while. Gunter, uh, Paul Gunter wasn't ever good. <laughs> unfortunately. was um, unfortunately. So I'd like to think that there's a chance there for them to kind of improve a little bit in terms of they have definitely upped the coaching. Um, And it's such a shame because because Gruden is such a good offensive play caller, but he's completely blind and he has Mayock blind to the needs on defence. It's just incredibly frustrating. Um that it's the same, you know, that, that expression that, you know, the definition of madness is repeating the same mistake over and over again. Like that's also the definition of being an Oakland Raiders fan, or Jesus, a Las Vegas Raiders fan. So
1: <laughs> Well yeah, sure. And you know, that's about what you've thought of Tom Cable uh there, because I, I'm a Seattle fan and I've had to live through the Tom Cable era where a lot of linemen have Come out against him and his his tech his techniques and how he trains the players and we've seen just this off season that you've lost you've lost Trent Brown, Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson all on the line as well. Like if if you had a different O line coach there, do you think you'd still be having those
4: players on the line? Uh, I think we'd have at least two of them. Um, I do think that I think you're right that there's an issue there with the coaching that's that's happening in practice day to day. I think there's one offensive lineman in particular in Richie Incognito who absolutely loves Tom Cable there. And that might tell you an awful lot about some of the issues <laughs> with the, uh, the Raiders offensive line room. And um, that doesn't need to be kind of stated, I suppose I was very venomously against Cable coming in because like Seattle were an open door offensive line. I mean, Russell Wilson is probably a six time MVP if he had a decent offensive line coach for the players ahead of him. Um, and for my money, he's, you know, if not the best quarterback in the league, his top three, like, and Cable kind of put the kibosh on a lot of the best years of, of Russell Wilson in Seattle. And while last year, certainly, I, there weren't those issues in terms of Derek Carr is one of the most protected quarterbacks in the league, and he, he, he has been, to be fair, for most of his career, which is obviously a massive benefit. I can't help but feel that this year is going to be a different experience and, and uh, Derek Carr might, might look a little bit more like David Carr uh, in terms of his offensive line was in 2022 unfortunately.
2: I went to a uh, an NFL game in London, It was the I think it was the Raiders, Jaguars or something, probably four years back, and I think it was the game where uh, their car got sacked, must have been six or seven times, and at one point he was just laying on the floor and it looked like he just wanted to walk out of the game, <laughs> like there was no protection
1: given to him at that point. Was that not the crying game against Seattle? Yeah, that's, right, the, one yeah, right, that's yeah. the one, I was at that one as well, yeah, I remember
4: that. Yeah, like like you're as, you're you you know as much as I do. Like you're only as good as a quarterback as as the line in front of you, and that line is only as good as the coaching that they've got. Like you look at the Patriots, you know, there's a reason their offensive line coach was until last year was like a hundred years old because you know Bill Belichick knew he had a good thing there and didn't want to get rid. Um, and we are because of the way college football is changing as well. We're seeing we're seeing a big change in how offensive linemen are built and we're seeing a change in their technique. And, and I think that's why the Raiders reached for, for Letterwood, because he is very much an old fashioned, long armed, security edge, left tackle. And they don't exist as much in, in the way college football has gone. And, you know, eventually, you know, that, that is going to come home to roost in the NFL and the NFL is going to have to fundamentally change the way, the way, you know, they run their offenses, which is going to be interesting. And like for someone who's as old as I am, and you know, I'm old, um, I, I kind of miss like my favorite, favorite, Raiders game was a game against the Broncos in the 2016 season where the offensive line was so dominant that they ran the exact same play 10 plays in a row and the Broncos knew it was coming the Raiders knew they were doing it they were basically telling the Broncos they were doing it and they couldn't stop it I love that kind of offensive line play I love like the fat lads in the trenches do not get a a near enough love because football has become such a fantasy orientated sport that you forget about just how important these guys are, especially on offense. Like I think the defensive guys get a bit more love because, you know, they make the sack and they do their little dance and say, they get their screen time. Like nobody's rewarding your right guard for blocking two men and creating four yards on a run. But those four yards eventually lead to a touchdown four plays later. Like, um, and and that that's the kind of hidden work that they do that goes unheralded. So, I think Leatherwood's a good player. I think they would have got him, maybe even with their second round pick. That's the frustrating bit, I suppose. Um, but I think maybe the thought is that, you know, well, it's he's better on our team than he is uh, a maybe pick in the second round as well. But I don't know. You shouldn't I, you shouldn't coach not to lose, and you shouldn't draft with the, with the fear of who else someone might pick. So um, yeah, that from that point of view, I suppose it's been a it's the same thing every day as a Raiders fan. So Steve, who was
0: your uh, number one pick for the Raiders in your mock drafts when you were looking at this, this draft
4: class, who did you have your eye on? Oh, I don't do mock drafts because my, I like, I like sure things. Um, because, and I don't like when last year, last year I did a full mock draft, three rounds. And as soon as there's a trade, the whole thing is blown. So, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't do it. I didn't really have, I, I would have, I would have liked to see – I would have preferred the run on QBs to keep going and some of the the first-round corners and, and the defensive players to kind of drop a little bit further back. Uh, but overall, like, I do, because my expectations are so low with the Raiders, there's no point in getting my hopes up. Mm. <laughs> there's no point in getting my hopes up about players because, you know, even, like, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, there have been so many drafts where I've waited up and a really, really brilliant player has dropped to the Raiders. And then the Chargers draft him two picks later because the Raiders <laughs> have let him go. And that's just, that's just constant. The, the That's the joys of being a, a Raiders fan, I think. So, um, yeah, I think it, for anyone who's choosing a, a football team for the first time, set your expectations low and keep them there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, here's a question, though. Um, because... Everyone was really confused about their first round pick of Leatherwood, and you know it was kind of redeemed a little bit with the with the Morrig pick in the second. If they were swapped, would we still be talking about the confusing draft? You could say draft choices by Mayock and Gruden.
4: I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. I think if if they had reached for Morrig, I don't think anyone. We don't think we'd be having this conversation. I think. Yeah. People would be talking about the upside and, and 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 all of that. So yeah, I think that's that's fair, but they didn't do that, I suppose. So it's really mm-hmm. hard to it's really hard to give them credit for something they didn't do. But I do think, uh, like, for for independent observers of the Raiders, I think everyone was kind of surprised to see them trade up and 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 make that selection and be able to get more out there. But I think it, when you look at the defense that they're going to run next season, I think he makes perfect sense. He's going to slot in. He's going to start on day one. Um, and I think it 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 ultimately saved what was a, compared to the rest of the AFC West, who had really good drafts, I thought, um, another mediocre draft from the Raiders. Well, let's,
1: uh, let's actually look at the rest of the AFC West, and we'll start with last season's division winners, and that's the Chiefs. And obviously, their objective this past offseason was to make sure what happened in the Super Bowl doesn't happen again by getting a lot of reinforcements, especially on the O-line. And um, with the likes of Joe Tooney and Austin uh, Blight there on the in the free agency, the trade for Orlando Brown just before the draft, meaning that they don't have a first round pick, but they did get also get another lineman that I was very impressed with in the, in the third round in Creed Humphrey, um, who was actually one that I would have liked the Seahawks to draft.
4: I think he, he is a centre that's going to uh, do quite well in the future for the Chiefs. Yeah, and I think the center position is again. We talk about the under uh, the O line being undervalued, and I think the center position is very much undervalued. When I when I started coaching football like a million years ago in Tullamore, like they the center was always your worst offensive lineman, and you put him in there to do that sandwich. But NFL teams and college teams, especially. Have realised the value, especially of pulling centres, centres who have a little bit of speed about them, who can get out and make an edge, an edge block on a run after snapping the ball. Um, so I think that wasn't it. But I think you know the for the for the Chiefs, it it was a matter of they kind of won their draft with the trade for Orlando Brown because no matter who they were going to pick in the first round of the draft, they weren't going to be as good a player as Orlando Brown. Is it going to be enough? I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is because I think what we saw in the Super Bowl and what we saw even in the two games against the Raiders were was that if you can show the most basic of coverage to Patrick Mahomes, he seems to struggle to pick vanilla coverages apart. You do something special, you do something a little bit extra, he's got it instantly. He knows exactly what you're doing, no matter how you're trying to feel it. If you just sit back and like just play cover two. You're not running rushing any blitzers that 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 are, that are hidden or whatever that you're disguising the often. He seems to really struggle with that. And I don't know if a lot of the blame in the Super Bowl went to, oh well, the the O-line was was like a save, it was then not true. But they were having to block for seven, eight, nine seconds, and no one is coached to block for that long. You're coached to block for three or four seconds and the hope that one of your five four receivers and one tight end and even running back as well, six pass catching players will actually get free and catch the ball. So I think it's 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 one of those chicken and egg situations where well, okay, we'll 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 shore up the offensive line, but if our skill positions don't get open. And then when they do get open, they drop the football. Like, I don't think I've ever seen Tyreek Hill drop a football as much as he did in the Super Bowl. There's no there's no fixing that. And you, you can't coach catching. You know, you just can't. People can either catch the ball or they can't. So I think that the, the Chiefs, the story they want the NFL to believe is that their problem was offensive line. I think their problem is that Patrick Mahomes, the one area of weakness he has, is that he struggles against the most bang average defense that you can see, and the thing is, because he's such a skillful player, teams try to throw all sorts of, you know, disguises and and fake blitzes and everything at him. When actually, cover two, man corners, keep it real simple, make sure the offensive line have to block for seven, eight, nine, ten seconds, then he's in trouble because you can't make miracle throws on every play. So. Yeah, that's a long way of saying yes, they drafted well, yes, they traded well, but I don't know if it's going to be enough for them to re- to 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 get back to the Super Bowl and to win it again.
1: It's interesting that your analysis on on Patrick Mahomes there because we did do when we did our, our Super Bowl preview it was talked about that um the important thing for Tampa on the day was to make sure that their four linemen get home and put pressure on Mahomes, which they did successfully, which means there was no need for them to blitz. And and we see that with a lot of teams coming up against Kansas City, that they tend to blitz because if they can get that extra man in there to make Mahomes uncomfortable and run out of pocket, they think that they can, they can catch him. But it seems as though if you can load the backfield against him um, and just make sure that every, well, not every blade of grass is covered, but covered enough that, it makes him probably double think it's kind of it's it's a bit of a trait that russell wilson tends to have as well and you were speaking about him earlier that he can make the spectacular throws but he can and we saw in the second half of last season that he can be quite indecisive that he if he isn't absolutely sure on a throw he's not going to throw which means he's holding the ball for too long which leads to sacks, and obviously which led to him being Unhappy, as he said in the off season, um, which Seattle have tried to make amends with. But yeah, it, it, I definitely see what you mean with, with Mahomes, and maybe the comparisons with Russell Wilson is there on that too. And if holding the ball too long, being indecisive is is not really helping them uh, too much. Um, but I would also say
4: the- it's worth pointing out it's really hard as Russell Wilson is finding out to come back from an experience with a bad offensive line. Because you hear footsteps now. For the rest of his career, Patrick Mahomes is going to be seeing ghosts and hearing footsteps. And I think he's going to need to be kept extraordinarily clean for the first part of this season to be comfortable again. Because he could have been seriously hurt in that Super Bowl. And not through sure any fault of his own. Yet, yeah, sometimes he did hold on. You're right. He definitely held on to the ball too long. He has this habit of double clutching the football a lot when he should just throw it away. Like, there is a reason why throwing the ball into the stand is worth more to your quarterback average than throwing the ball to a, a defender. Like, throw it away. It's, sometimes it's just a good play to throw the ball away. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's an interesting point, the, the Wilson comparison, because that stuff that stuff just grows. It, it gets into the back of your head. And, and I'm not like, don't get me wrong, Patrick Mahomes is a phenomenal quarterback. He's one of the best I've ever seen. But things like that, not like we're all human. We all have our doubts, and when you've had, when you've had a performance like that on the biggest stage of all, it has to live with you. Like it absolutely does.
1: Yeah, definitely. I uh, let's move on to the Chargers and their draft and their objective. Again, similar to Kansas City. They they want to protect their quarterback. They want to continue the development of Justin Herbert after a really good first year. Got him a... Really good old lineman in Rashawn Slater. Got him uh, Josh Palmer as another weapon and as a wide receiver. But it's going to be interesting to see what sort of year Justin Herbert's going to have. So you, we see it in football close to home here, the second season syndrome for promoted teams. The second year syndrome for quarterbacks is a thing as well. and be interesting if Herbert takes that step forward or maybe he just stags a little bit.
4: Yeah, this is my favorite type of time of year because this is Chargers win the Super Bowl season, and inevitably the Chargers get cursed by injuries and don't win the Super Bowl and finish third in the division. So, it's absolutely my favorite because some of my, two of my closest friends are Chargers fans, and to see them how excited they get at this time of year and knowing what's to come, is 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 always fun. But I thought they had a I thought they had a good draft. I thought the tight end um, that they drafted, uh, Trey McKinney. I think in a weak enough tight end class, I thought he was from where they got him. I thought he, he he's going to help Herbert because at this stage in we know like the Noah Fant is probably the worst tight end in the division. Um, it's a it's a division where tight ends and quarterbacks form incredibly good relationships, and maybe Herbert's looking for someone new there to kind of to to keep that up on his second season. I I watched. Because someone pointed out to me, a friend of mine, Paul Hosford, a Titans fan, pointed out to me in an early game last season. He said, look at Justin Herbert's deep ball, because it's got a slower velocity than most pro quarterbacks' deep ball. But he gets a height on it that other quarterbacks don't, and that gives his receivers a chance to go up and make plays. And I was watching it, and he does seem to throw it kind of a weirder, like, it's almost like a golf drive. In the sense that goes up and then comes, rather than the spiral that you're used to seeing, the the, the kind of the bullet pass he has it, and I think teams having having had a season of tape on that might start sitting a bit more on some of his deeper balls because what was happening I found on because obviously he had one of the best rookie seasons in terms of deep passes. What was happening was the safeties or the corners were going too far because they were expecting the ball based on where they saw the launch angle from and from their experience landing in one place and I was landing two or three yards short of that. And the receivers who obviously practice with him every day were aware of where the ball was going to be. So I think that's going to be interesting this year. But I do think, I think he has all the tools that you need uh, for a, to be a very high upside NFL quarterback I don't know if the Chargers win a Shamrock Bowl or Shamrock Bowl, Jesus. A Super Bowl with a... <laughs> a plug in for the Dublin Rhinos. Join the Dublin Rhinos. Um, Join the I, Dublin I, Pirates. Yeah, don't, do <laughs> uh, you, really you know, I, I, I just have to remember your names if, if anyone joins, you know. So, uh, <laughs> um, but no, uh, I think he's a really good quarterback who can consistently get the Chargers to playoffs. My issue is that would any of us here bet on him winning a Super Bowl in the next five years and I certainly wouldn't I'd love to know what you kind of thought like personally don't think he has the tool set to do it but I'm open to I'm open to correction Jake would but he literally takes any bet going at this point oh I'm so
2: easy to (laughs) (laughs) especially if it's doing the Giants I I go through that but yeah no I I could see Justin Herbert like like he hasn't got a lot of good stuff and it's always nice to see a younger guy Take that step and, and and get close to winning a Super Bowl. He certainly has a real strong team around him. Out of like the rookie quarterbacks take last year, he's probably a, a, on the strongest level. So I certainly would like to see him win a Super Bowl, and maybe I will put that bet down. If you maybe I will. Not <laughs> what I year, like.
0: Though. What I like about him is I kind of like that he he doesn't have so much flash that some of the other guys came in, and and I kind of like that a good fundamentals quarterback who stays calm in the pocket doesn't think he's better than he is and i think some of these extremely talented flash players get so used to being told how extremely talented and flashy they are their first instinct as soon as something even vaguely goes wrong is i'm out of here i'm gonna run 50 yards with my legs and it's gonna look amazing whereas sometimes if you hold on for that two three seconds you touched on it see it's really hard to cover for a long time and it's really hard to block for a long time so if you can just hold it for a half second let that develop right to where you need it to be and then if it's not there, get out of it. I think that's a really nice thing that I saw that I saw him do is just keep that patience, just that half beat longer that you don't have with a guy who's known for his speed or known for his flash. And I think that's what might give him the chance to really progress and have those skills to last for a long time in the NFL. Uh Super Bowls. I think on which I think he he could definitely win a Super Bowl in his career do I see it in the next 5 years? I just don't think the, the Chargers franchise has it lined up to be a team around them. Uh, so yeah, I think overall he probably has the talent, but right now it doesn't look like he's going to have the extra uh, support that he needs.
2: I'm certainly a fan of them drafting Rashawn Slayer. I think that it's like, that's the best thing you could do having a young quarterback is give him solid protection. I think I'm kind of against you Fiona. I think he has a relatively strong team. He certainly has some go- good offensive players around them. So them drafting a very strong um, tackle or sorry offensive lineman, that's a really smart move, and it's certainly pushing them in the right direction. Maybe to get to a championship, it's going to be hard with uh, obviously playing against the uh, the Chiefs two times a year. But I, th- I think it was a smart drafting strategy, anyway.
1: But also, I think the the. Uh... The get of Corey Lindsley. We just talked about how important centers are. Now I think he's he's the best center in the game. I think that's really going to help him in terms of a Super Bowl in the next five years. I I don't think so. I think the Chargers always find ways to mess things up. And whether it's just because they're the Chargers and it just it it just doesn't work out for them, you know, it'll It'll be especially like. Yeah, Philip Rivers—they said it was the best quarterback to not win a, a Super Bowl. Well, that's a different uh, discussion for another day. I, I wouldn't exactly agree to that, but you know, it's it's just like the Chargers never sort of really make that run. I've not not in a long time anyway. And yeah, I don't know. Next if he years. was,
0: if he was on the NFC side, I would maybe see more of a chance. All the top young yeah. quarterbacks are on the AFC at the moment. There's so much
4: talent you got to get through to even just get to the Super Bowl. Never mind win it. So yeah, I think, that's I, think working, that's, I, guess. I think you're right. I think the biggest issue is he, the hard, the harder the game to win is the AFC championship game than the Super Bowl. I think for for all of these quarterbacks. Uh, in 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 that conference. So, yeah, I, I, I get it. And, like, the thing we haven't touched on is, like, the horrendous run of luck that the Chargers have had every single year, losing absolutely key players. And at some stage, that's not a luck thing. That's a mismanagement thing. That's a poor... Like, we saw how Justin Herbert got his job because somebody stabbed Tyrod Taylor with a needle. So, like, um, they are not a well-run franchise. And I think that's the biggest hindrance to... Um, as Arsenal fans well know, I suppose. But they, you know, the, they're... Oh, no, the Rams is Arsenal. Sorry, L, wrong LA yeah. team. But uh, they're still badly run because, I, as I said, if you stab your your starting quarterback before the first game with a needle and puncture his well you're probably not doing things right. No, I just find it interesting because I think there was a lot of love for Herbert. And then, you know, were the results there to match it? And, and I think while they drafted well, I think Sertain... Um, you know, obviously a second-generation athlete, probably the best cornerback in the draft, but he doesn't fit Vic Fangio's scheme. So, like there, there comes there comes the debate of, of 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 sorry, that's the Broncos later on. But I think that's who you're coming up against is a division that is now starting to load up. We, we're seeing the quarterbacks, with the exception of the Broncos, who have struggled at quarterback. We've seen all the teams now starting – that he's coming up against not only have good young qu- cornerback quarterbacks, but they're now starting to put in good safeties, good cornerbacks. And I think we're going to see a different – I think the AFC West is going to be quite strong next season, whereas it may have been on – obviously, Patrick Mahomes elevates it and the Chiefs elevate it to a different level. But I don't think it was that good a division for the last maybe couple of seasons outside of the Chiefs. Um, And I think that's where we're really going to see the value. Because, you know, if you are playing the Raiders twice a year, if you are playing the Broncos twice a year, or certainly the Broncos over the last few seasons, it does become a lot easier to start padding your record, your win-loss record and your stats. Um, And if you're constantly finishing third or fourth in your division, it becomes a lot easier to start padding your stats against the weaker teams in your conference and things like that as well the following season. So... I think this is a really, going back to your original point there, this is a really telling year because he's either going to take the Josh Allen step forward, which, you know, conversation for a different day, but I don't think that's sustainable for Josh Allen, where we see numbers we've never seen from him before. Or he reverts like we see a lot of young cornerbacks or quarterbacks do, where they become, they've had a lot of game film. Down now, so a lot of defenses and defense coordinators know exactly what what's coming, and um, and so that's I, for me he the, him and Herbert and the Chargers are the most fascinating team in the AFC West because they have the potential to legitimately make a run at the division, I think, but they've also the the, the absolute potential to finish last in it because it's the Chargers and that's what we kind of expect from 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 that organization. So.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you talked a little bit about the Broncos earlier, but let's move on to them actually. And, um, they were one of the sides that we thought were going to be in the, the QB conversation before the draft started. Um, and they ended up not going for their quarterback and uh, started and went for a uh, cornerback Patrick Sertain. Um, Despite not getting the quarterback, though, I personally liked their draft. I thought uh, Javante Williams, the running back, and Quinn Morris, especially, were really good picks early. And the safety Jamar Johnson in the fifth round was a bit—I think—was a sleeper pick that could end up uh, being uh, quite the uh, selection for them in the future. But um, what did you think about their choice? I know you sort of mentioned it a little bit there a few minutes ago that you're not too uh, keen on the the Patrick Sertain pick.
4: Yeah, because again, it's that question on of, of player and fit, um, and you know, if you have a quarterback who's only run say West Coast offense, and then you try to put him in a spread or something, it's going to it's just you always try. You should always try and match your coaching to the players you draft. So maybe Fangio and and, and the coaching team will will change the habit of a lifetime, but I very much doubt it. I think we're dealing with a, a set of coaches who are kind of set in their ways and, and their structure. I thought Sam Monson from PFF made a really good point. The Broncos did everything right. They've done everything right in terms of a lot of the moves they've made, but they ruined it all by not drafting a quarterback because the answer to the Broncos is not in that QB room. I mean, my son's called Teddy. So, always been biased towards Teddy Bridgewater. But Drew Locke, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, and what's the other guy's name they have? Um, Jeff Driscoll, is it? Jeff, no, Brett. Is no. it Brett Ripon? Is it, it Brett, 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 Brett Ripon? Is, yeah, yeah. is it Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> well, that's the right. other question. So then, <laughs> that, that leads us up, like, I think, quite nicely to the only thing I can think about with the way they drafted is that they have a plan for a quarterback that they're going to make a move for um an established quarterback and if all the if all the noises I suppose coming out of Wisconsin are to be believed well then they have a suitor who 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 is equally enthused at the the prospect of joining them. So I think the only while the draft was fine, it was absolutely fine. The only way for me it makes sense is if they have something in their pocket. Um I saw someone today talking about Andrew Luck coming out of retirement and the Broncos having their eye on them and you're going, no, it's actually much more likely that it's Aaron Rodgers, a man who's yeah. actively said that, why, why why, do you need to start this conversation when it's a man who's actively said he wants out of his position that he's in? Um, so I think the Broncos with Aaron Rodgers, because anything with Aaron Rodgers is immediately uh, a, a trap, but I think the Broncos with Aaron Rodgers, the, again, it, the AFC West suddenly becomes this absolutely powerhouse division with the Las Vegas Raiders in there as well. So um, it terrifies me the prospect of having I mean, to face Aaron Rodgers twice a year with, with the, the Raiders' defense. But it feels like it feels like the noise is this year are different than previous years. In previous years I would have absolutely said, and our are like in, in the WhatsApp groups I'm in, the conversation was, oh, it's just contract noise, it's just get a pay rise, just to make sure that they draft a wide receiver. But no, this feels different. It does feel different. And with like I know he said that he has two, like, you know, the the Raiders and the Broncos would be like good landing spots for him considering the offenses they run. And we all know it's not going to be the Raiders. So, as I said earlier on, set your expectations low. Don't get your hopes up because your heart will only be broken. But if he lands in, and you know, I'm old enough to remember when there was talk of Russell Wilson potentially coming to the division as well. Um, that 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 could have that could have been, if Wilson to the Raiders had have happened and Rogers to Broncos does happen, that would have been some QB division we're <laughs> talking about in the AFC West, I
0: well, Steve, maybe I can put your mind at ease because I'm a Washington fan and they're one of the other teams. It's They're the, one of the less likely teams to get Aaron Rodgers, but they have been mentioned in the conversation. And so I wanted to pitch a trade to you and let's see what you think of it. So my thought process, and, I, and I'll go through it as I go. So we're getting Aaron Rodgers, obviously, humongous upgrade at quarterback. Uh, so instead of drafting a potential quarterback in next year's first round, which we're going to have to address at some point, we give Green Bay that first round pick. So the 2022 first round pick. Then, of course, Green Bay won't just take one first-round pick, so you probably have to take in the, the 23 first-round pick. But at that stage, you're hoping Aaron Rodgers is bedded in. That's a like a 20th or higher pick, so you're not giving up too much. Brandon Sheriff wants to leave, so we get rid of him. That's a really high-value player that you manage to shift on and take the headache away from your team. Then you're going to add one more player, a kind of a sweetener. I reckon Montez Sweat, you're going to try and keep a hold of chase young Sweat has got better last year and the year before he got better again so maybe green bay are interested in that they can have fitzpatrick if they want but i really don't think they would do you think that's a good trade and would
4: they be interested i think they'd be very interested if you swapped sweat for young i think you've got a deal right there but then mm-hmm. there's you know who wouldn't do that trade It's an interesting one because like I think if Rogers says, Well, look, I'm not playing this season, well then you have to do the trade because mm-hmm. Green Bay are one of those teams that are in win now mode. So they need to address it. And I actually think they'd be quite happy with Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick, we know everyone knows what he is. He's, you know, two touchdowns, interception a game, um, quarterback. The same throws that could lead to a brilliant touchdown lead to interceptions. Mm-hmm. That's he's basically Jay Cutler with a better beard. And <laughs> I I I don't know I think Green Bay would find it really hard and I think
0: you have to. If you're Green Bay, you have to play Jordan Love. If he's the reason you pissed Aaron Rodgers off and he left, that you don't take the guy that comes in on a trade. You have to play the guy that basically gave him the hump. Like otherwise, your fan base is looking at you going, "Why did you even try buy him, like take him in the first place if you never wanted to play him?"
4: Yeah, but also that fan base has like gone from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, so they're entitled to have a few years a few. of. Bad They so better yeah. have
2: a couple of years of bad court. They cannot yeah, walk like, into another Hall of Fame guy.
0: Yeah, like they're due I mean, at
1: least a five-year sentence. Well, yeah,
0: definitely isn't a isn't a Hall of Fame guy anyway. No, he's already no, had no, two no. hot careers, and that hasn't been a <laughs> Hall of
4: Fame. So, no, I, I yeah, I think. He, I think in that sense, you're right. But I do think in terms of keeping the experience in the QB room, you take Fitzpatrick as part of that deal. I mm-hmm. think they'd find it very hard to say no. And I'm not sure that the Broncos can really match that kind of offer. I think that's the, the bigger issue there. But if you're the Chargers, or if you're the Packers, sorry, the only thing that, you, that puts you off that is you're keeping Aaron Rodgers in conference. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the Packers want to do that. And that's why I think you'd probably need to put Young in there just to get that deal done. Because the one, the golden rule of, of QB trades is get them out of your conference. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just enough to get them out of your division, you have to get them out of conference. So that that would be the only thing if I was the however many thousand people own the Packers organization. <laughs> um, that would be the thing that would put me off it. But it's in like you have to listen to the phone. You have to you have to pick up the phone. The other question on the Broncos is: Aaron Rodgers tall enough um, to be a Broncos QB? Because that seems to be the only defining uh, trait. They're yeah.
0: already a mile high, so like you gotta get that extra altitude, get that ball yeah.
4: floating. I think you might have to put on the Cuban heels to be
2: yeah. uh, <laughs> traded for by Elway.
4: <laughs> but it, no, it, it, that, like I think in terms of destinations though as well. And uh, I, I'm sorry, Jake. I think That's it's it. an easy division. To, oh, well, as well, yes. so it's, I a think, to the, it's a path to the path to the playoffs for. Instantly. I think if any team in the NFC
2: he used to have Aaron Rodgers, that division would just be that team's uh, ownership, <laughs> like they'd just have it. Like, but the the, well, I mean, has a but the Detroit lines and
4: things like that as well. I mean, it's not like he's <laughs> had. <laughs> um But yeah, no, I think I think I think it's a really really interesting proposition. But like I said, I think the conference element is the only thing that stops it from happening the well, the problem for rogers i think the biggest problem for rogers is there's very 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 few teams that can put together the type of package now the dolphins could have done it the dolphins could have done it with their 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 draft capital um but now it's and i know Mu, like i know theoretically with the cap money and all that they have to wait till july 1st and things like that but it feels like the window for teams that he may end up with is closing and so I would be at this stage I would wouldn't be surprised if he, he was the starting QB for Green Bay on day one of the, of the season but equally I wouldn't be shocked if he was if he was somewhere else or not playing football and that's a legitimate um jeopardy offer. host because if he's <laughs> if he's as so if he's this if he's as unhappy as he's saying he is like why not walk away like none of us would stay in a job that we're not happy with uh, that's the lie, I've definitely stayed in jobs I'm not happy with <laughs> um, but I've also not been Aaron Rodgers so <laughs> there's maybe that as well but uh, yeah, I, I, I think in, or- in order of likelihood I think number one is starting Packers QB number two is not playing football next season and number three is is playing somewhere else I think that's probably where we are at the moment
2: My issue for the trade for Aaron Rodgers is, like, it's going to cost a whole bunch to get Aaron Rodgers on your team. So there's only a few teams that have that – have that package that they could trade up and get Aaron Rodgers, and then be also have a team that's strong enough to give Aaron Rodgers the chance to get into a Super Bowl because you only realistically have four, maybe five years of like excellent Aaron Rodgers play before it drops off a cliff. Do you want to hamstring your team for that long if you're not going to get to a Super Bowl? Like, so I'm kind of in between on that trade for me. Yeah, I also don't think
4: you have that long. I think Brady has given us a false yeah. impression of what you can do because Rodgers is such a different type of QB and relies so much more on on, on kind of that backyard football and scrambling that you just can't do at the age of 40. I'm 38. I make noises getting in and out of chairs. Like, so Aaron Rodgers is only a year younger than me. Yeah, fair enough. He's a lot better. But like, I, I just think the, we saw with Drew Brees, the idea that everyone can, that can be a Brady is QBs fall off a cliff. They don't go gently into the good night. They go and down. And uh, sorry for anyone listening. I made a movement with my hand there. Um, but I think that I think that you have to to justify any trade for Rogers, you have to win two Super Bowls in the next three years. And how many teams have the strength and depth to actually do that? Um like we, but it, it is possible. Like we look at what the, the books have done. The books are probably favourites for the Super Bowl again this year because they've brought everyone back. Uh And it's at the expense of they know, books fans know, and books ownership know that they are in for a decade of hell. After all of this, but if you win two Super Bowls, absolutely worth it. Two points.
0: Washington have already been in a decade of hell in terms of quarterbacks. And number two, we almost beat the Buccaneers in the playoffs (laughs) last season. So just because you're in a decade as being as as. Uh, playoff ready and as Super Bowl ready as any other team in the NFL
2: just because you were in a decade of QB hell doesn't mean you can come out of the decade of QB but hell
0: imagine what you... Aaron Rodgers could do when our backup backup no. backup quarterback nearly beat Brady and the books. that's no. I mean it's no. a 40 point trashing really when you do the maths like, well
1: no. to be fair <laughs> the Green, Green Bay where, Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay were destroyed by the Bucs in the regular season and lost in the NFC Championship anyway so you know it's sitting defense
0: they had King over there getting burnt like toast, <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah well, who did you have in corner on the corners last year yeah Derby didn't you?
0: yeah Derby, and I don't yeah. even remember Moreau, I think maybe, or something like that we still her, need man. to bet them we still need to bet them, so I'm um... <laughs> I think we're in a great spot. We're in win now mode, as Steve said earlier. Win
2: now game. mode. Win game,
0: Be the first team in the division to win it twice in a row since about two thousand and three or yeah, something. Yeah.
1: But you know though that if if he does come into Washington, then Ron Rivera will probably be sacked within two years because <laughs> he okay. will he will clash with Ron. Well, he's yeah. I thought he was at the 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 forefront of your culture change.
0: Yeah, but he can do the defense, and Aaron Rodgers can be at the forefront of the offensive <laughs> no, no, no. change.
2: No, when it when it comes to Fiona and it's his team getting a Hall of Fame quarterback, it doesn't matter now. You can get rid of all these culture if Jake changes. C-
0: can yeah. Will Galladay, even if they did have to pay him an outrageous amount of money, I'm gonna Will Aaron Rodgers to the Washington Football no, team. No, no, no. if only just for something slightly better to watch for the next. No, Aaron Rodgers,
2: Aaron Rodgers for Daniel Jones, straight up. Oh. i mean in. Yeah, I anyone would take that. I think that's
4: actually, though, a really, really good point. It takes a very, very particular type of coach, Coach Aaron Rodgers, and that is someone who just shuts the deck up and gets out of the way, um, because that's what Rodgers wants, and that's what he needs to excel as a, as a coach. So, yeah, the, I hadn't haven't actually thought of the Rivera clash there. I can't see Rivera kind of standing for that, to be honest, but you're right, maybe you just boot him out because it's Aaron Rodgers, so... Steve, real quickly, right, we had this uh,
2: come up on our show multiple times, but
4: Fionn hates
2: this, right, when quarterbacks that are potential Hall of Famers um, want to have some say in how their team draft and do stuff, um, I'm for letting your quarterback have a say, where do you stand on it? If it's a Hall of Fame quarterback now,
0: no, well, they're not just have a say. They want to make them GM and quarterback. No. Like, you got to hire your coach. You get to hire the GM. You get to decide who they trade. Like, they were literally like, yeah, that's completely reasonable for Russell Wilson to want to fire the front office, hire all his own guys, and make a draft list for himself.
2: I don't think that's what we were saying. But, Steve, I go think
4: ahead. I'm more comfortable with a QB, especially a QB at that level, choosing his coordinator. Than I am with him choosing his draft picks, um. Because I think obviously if you're the QB, you're going to draft. I'll have the best receiver. I'll have the best tight end. I'll have the best offensive lineman. And that's no way to to draft. So I think, and not. It sounds like I'm sitting on the fence, and I really don't like sitting on the fence. But I, I'm I'm fine with him choosing the OC and even the HC. I'm not happy with him being the the general manager. Um, oh,
2: see, I'm certainly fine with him having a say. Like, I like this guy, I like that guy. But he's, he's still GM. He's doing
4: tape on the best Edwards rushers in the draft. Yeah. Like, so. Um, like, I, I'm a firm believer that every single NFL team should have an offensive minded head coach, have a set defensive coordinator, and that QB and have head coach have the best relationship of any two people in the whole organization. The head the relationship between the GM and the head coach don't even need to be as tight as the relationship between the QB and the head coach. I think if you have a a an offensive coordinator, if you hire an offensive coordinator and a defensive-minded head coach, in two years' time some other team has taken your offensive coordinator to be their head coach. So you might as well get ahead of them and do it. And if if for your QB to be happy, that guy has to be someone that they're comfortable working with. So I, I'm okay with Rogers kind of taking the lead there. I'm not okay with him sulking about their draft picks because it's not his team. It's not his organisation. The offence is what he needs to worry about. He can't play defence. He can't cover books receivers in playoff games. So he should focus on his side of the football only, I think.
1: Yeah, I'd, it is interesting because you basically, when you were talking about the relationship QB should have, you're essentially describing the Seahawks this, uh, <laughs> issues that they had over the offseason because obviously Wilson wanted more of a say Wilson gets the guy that he wanted and Shane Waldron. And like you were saying, quarterback shouldn't make the draft picks, but if the quarterback gets the OC that they want, they are going to make the draft picks. If you know what I'm saying, because they're going to have the same mindset because he's on board with that person. Um, so, you know, they, they, he knows what sort of game is going to be best. And that's that's basically what the best OCs you want it, 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 on your team as well. You want ones that are going to have that, you know, uh, almost kinetic, you know, uh, relationship that they're going to have. That Look, listen, we know where we are right now. We don't necessarily need to talk about the play. We know what we're going to do here.
4: Yeah, uh, like... It's at a very, 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 very different level, so far apart that, like, I shouldn't even be comparing them. But, like, we have, you know, in our football team, we have a playbook. We have play calls. I call in the plays. The QB has the best view of anyone on the field. The QB, if he decides to change the play call, I am absolutely comfortable with that because he is a much better thing than me. And likewise, in the NFL, I think you... I think so many coaches fail because they decide that it's their way is the only way. And the best OCs, the best coaches turn around to their players and say, what do you think? Because it should be a symbiotic relationship. It should work both ways. Yeah, there are times when you say, no, we're running the ball here. You don't need to make the hero throw." Absolutely. And there are times you do need to put your foot down. But I think for an organisation and an offence to tick, to really kind of work well, The head coach has to trust or the offense coordinator has to trust his QB implicitly and and vice versa. Like, I think where the issue comes is if the Mike McCarthy and the Mike McCarthy era in in Green Bay where Rodgers was just ignoring what he was saying every single play and calling his own. That's not a healthy relationship. It's supposed to be dynamic. It's supposed to be something that, 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 that the balance of power there is equal. When it shifts too much to one person, I think that's where you have the issue. What I like about the idea of QB calling his own like plays and, 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 and picking his own OC is if you fail, then it's all on you. You don't have any other excuse. And then you have to hold your hands up and say, look, I wasn't good enough. And I think a lot of quarterbacks thrive in that environment where everything's on. like, we, we, we can see it. We, you know, Phil mentioned earlier on about QBs that took the ball under their arms and run far too quickly, but that's because they have been taught their entire high school collegiate career that the winning of the game depends solely on them. Nobody else, like they are the most important person in the world uh, on that particular play. And when you get a QB, BHC or OC relationship where you know actually what do you think I think that just eases the burden a little bit and then you can kind of you can push on and you get better as a pair you get better as a team but it can certainly very very quickly um, as we're seeing in Dallas I suppose uh, over the last few seasons as we've seen in Green Bay before that when that power dynamic between the play caller and the QB uh, shifts too much to the QB, it's not good either. So there is a balance, but it's it's like everything. I mean, like, you know, I could have six points tonight and like really enjoy myself, but I have to work in the morning and it's not going to be that much fun. So it's finding that like, it's finding that nice balance in the middle. um, uh, uh, And that's the same with, with, with any NFL organization, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that's a perfect spot to wrap it up. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us today.
4: Thanks a million and apologise for how dark it looks, but we have a canary and if I turned on the other light, he would sing the (laughs) flip out of the show. So uh, it was just for everyone else's ears. I kept the lights darker. That's great. We appreciate
1: that anyway. um, We'll let the canary sing if uh, Aaron Rodgers goes to the Washington football team. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fiance all over now. Listen, um, before we go, guys, if you are watching us on YouTube, can you please like this video and subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network? That is where you will find our podcast each and every time we upload a brand new show. Same on the audio side. Just search sign Dynamo Podcast Network wherever you get your podcast. You'll find us there when we upload a new show uh, once or twice a week. And on the socials is facebook.com forward slash uh, the pod, Instagram and Twitter, at under pod fionn and jake as always thank you so much thank you very much for having us thank you very much uh lads we'll be back again next week where we'll be continue our off season series by looking at two other teams and how uh, they are approaching the 2021 season but until then stay safe and we'll speak soon